The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thank you very much. Welcome along to episode 53 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 15th of February 2010. I'm Edwin Herman. Welcome, Brett King. Howdy. Brett, uh, it's, yesterday was Valentine's Day, 14th of February it was yesterday. Already we're halfway through February. Where does time go? I know, the year is just blitzing by. I know, it seems like we just had New Year's not long ago, like mm. the other week. <laughs> Indeed. I'm sure time goes faster the older you get. I can guarantee it. Your perception of time definitely goes faster. Maybe it's our brains are slowing down, so everything seems faster, relatively. (laughs) Could be. Mm. How's that for a theory? (laughs) I think that theory would be about as useful as the uh, latest Microsoft patch. Have you seen what's happened there? (laughs) Rather embarrassing for them rather embarrassing once again somebody has slipped up on their quality assurance <laughs> they're testing before they push out a patch yeah they released another patch as part of their normal patch tuesday it was wasn't it for uh, a windows floor that hadn't been patched for 17 years or something like that yep a well-known well-reported 17 year old windows floor which they finally got around to patching only to then break every single version of Windows, except for 64-bit Windows 7, apparently. And that's what you're running. That is. So I, you're I'm not any, I didn't even know there was an issue with this patch <laughs> until I read the story. A lot of people have uh, reported blue screens immediately after applying the patch. Yeah, it has been blue screening a lot of people. Have Microsoft acknowledged this? Because there's discussion on their forums about it, but have they? I don't think they've said anything, have they? It's Well, they're investigating issues with installation of the latest security update. That's what the, a Microsoft spokesman has said. They're investigating an issue to determine the cause. It seems like we see this more and more with vendors releasing patches that break things. I think we're seeing a lot more of these faulty patches being pushed out purely because the coding departments or, you know, the, the patching departments they have there are furiously trying to meet their deadlines for pushing out patches, and we know Microsoft has their patch Tuesday. So things are being pushed out that haven't been properly checked. It's about proper testing. Well, it's a bit of a no- we're not seeing that as much. Well, it appears we're not seeing it as much in the stuff that's coming out. But then again, with the massively exponentially increasing complexity of all of these, of the different operating systems and software and programs that we're having now, I think we're just going to be seeing a lot more of this because it's a lot harder to check the different patches. You're you're patching a particular issue in a particular thing and you have no idea what the the repercussions are going to be for something multiple steps down the line if you don't thoroughly test it. And if you're only partially testing these things to make sure they work with whatever it is that you're fixing, but none none of the the ripple on downstream effects, then you're just going to get these patches which keep coming out and do horrible, unintentional things. Yeah, and it's also a no-win situation for them because they get criticized if they don't release a patch soon enough. 
Oh, indeed. And it's taken them 17 years to patch that particular flaw. <laughs> they still got it wrong. <laughs> they still got it wrong. <laughs> Fortunately, there are workarounds, and there have been several workarounds posted on Microsoft forums and the discussion boards uh, relating to that particular security update, ways to uh, get your machine to reboot and not have that issue. Must be frustrating, though, for users. No, oh, definitely. Especially if it does it automatically. But then, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yep. In this sort of situation, it's it's much better to be damned if you do. You want to be as protected as possible. True. I mean, what's a blue screen? It's not as destructive as a virus. Exactly. you still got your data. Exactly. And you can be pretty damn sure that Microsoft will be doing their damnedest to find the issue and fix it <laughs> because they do not want their clients, their customers, blue screen locked out of their machines. Definitely not. I'll tell you what Microsoft is busy doing, actually. They're busy working on the new version of Office for Mac, Office 2011, which will sport a new version of the Ribbon interface. They're bringing their Ribbon interface to the Mac. I think, uh, you know, I, I've kind of finally got used to the Ribbon on, on Windows. <laughs> I hated it when I started. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I've... I've become accustomed to it now it is quite it does take a little bit of getting used to when you were you know perfectly aware of where everything was in the old way of doing things and now everything is just slightly different in where they've stuck it that all makes sense but it's just not where it was previously <laughs> and so getting used to that one complaint i do have about it though is at work, we have a staff member who has uh, a vision impairment, so has high contrast profile settings. Now, the ribbon has pretty big buttons on it to begin with, but when you have a high contrast profile setting, it makes all your icons even bigger. And so these already big ribbon icons become ginormous, <laughs> and the, <laughs> the ribbon bar, <laughs> the ribbon bar takes up like almost a quarter of the application window <laughs> on so a 19-inch monitor. <laughs> they're, working this, they're working on something and they've got this ribbon with a little bit of page underneath. Yep. A strip of page under a screen of ribbon. Yep. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's very unusable. <laughs> uh, they didn't think about that too too much then. No, no. They, they didn't think about how, <laughs> how it was going to interact with their own high contrast profile settings there. <laughs> be like a, a toy, a, a, a kid's version. Yeah, pretty much. It's like when you look at those those kids' toy laptops that you can buy at your electronics store where they're giant buttons and giant things and tiny little screen. So I'm looking forward to the new version of Office for, for Mac. You're finally going to get an Outlook that works. Uh, yeah, they're bringing back Outlook. Yeah. Yep. I can't use Entourage on the Mac. It's absolutely awful. And uh, from what I've heard, the, the the Outlook for for the Mac is going to be very close, if not identical, to the to the Windows version. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to say that Office 2007's Outlook has one feature which they changed from the way they did it in previous versions, and it's horrible. What's that? Absolutely horrible. Well, it changed a couple of things. There's the they, they changed out of, a couple of things. Out of they, office they, assistant has changed. Yep, yep. But they changed the way that they did labels and categories. They've kind of oh, merged yeah. those different features together to create just color-coded categories. Yeah, those are good. It's great, except they removed one piece of functionality that the 
previous version had when you were using the labels. When you were using labels, you could create a recurring appointment or a recurring meeting, right? And you could go in and you could label each occurrence individually. Oh, and with, so, with, with a different ins- label? Yeah, with a different label, with different color. So different color coding. So for instance, we use them to block out times for appointments during the day. And then when we have an appointment made in that time, we change the color to blue to indicate that that block has an appointment in it. You know, quick glance, you can see there's an appointment in it. And once that appointment has passed and the person has been in and been seen, we change the color again to indicate that that was an appointment actually attended. Now, in the new Outlook 2007, you can't do that. When you categorize a recurring appointment, it categorizes the entire recurring appointment series. You can't categorize a single occurrence. There's no way to differentiate a single occurrence of a recurring appointment set. You have to delete the recurring appointment and put in a brand new appointment, which adds many minutes (laughs) of extra time to create and monitor those appointments. And it drives our admin team nuts. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I, would, I would be sitting here enthusiastically going, yeah, yeah, that's a real pain, Brett. But I didn't actually even know that feature exist, <laughs> existed in 2003. So I'm kind of like, oh, right. Okay. Didn't know you could do it. But mm. yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. That yeah, Actually, I'll tell you the other thing. It just seems ridiculous that they would not be able to disassociate a recurring appointment, an individual occurrence of a recurring appointment, because you can disassociate them by putting in, you know, edit the content. You can edit the content of a single occurrence of a series. So if you do, if you do that up. first, does that help? With no, the, because it's, it's still, it's a disassociated occurrence, but it is still an occurrence of a series and categories only work on a series. It doesn't care about whether or not a, a single occurrence has been disassociated or still associated with the series. It's just that it is a member of the series, so it gets the one category. It's ridiculous. I don't see why... Once you disassociate it as you can by just changing the contents of a single occurrence, that you can't then change the category of that single occurrence or change the label of that single occurrence. It's ridiculous what they did. It was a stupid change, Microsoft. A stupid change. Well, you have to write to, uh, what's his name? (laughs) Developers, developers, developers. I will indeed. What's his name again? I will write to developers, developers, developers at (laughs) (laughs) microsoft.com and tell them that their change in the way that categorizing only works in a series and can't be associated with a single occurrence was stupid. (laughs) Uh, Something else they they removed actually from going from 2003 to 2007 across the whole office suite is the ability to customize the ribbon, which, you know, was the menu. You can't customize the the ribbon. No, you've got You've got your quick launch... Uh, you know, bit at the top left, but you can't actually customize the the whole ribbon. But apparently, in 2010, apparently you can actually customize the the ribbon there. So well, it'll be interesting to see what they do for the things. Mac. Sorry, yeah, they've, well, they've brought back a lot of things in Office 2010, which they took out in 2007, like Visual Basic. For yeah, Visual Basic. Yeah, that was taken out in Office 2007. They realized the folly of their ways, <laughs> probably because of all of the Office developers screaming up in arms that all of the applications and extensions that they had written for their for Office suddenly no longer were able to be used. <laughs> and the backwards compatibility for a whole heap of, like, for 
access databases, for instance. The, the loss of VBA support in that was huge. Things you couldn't develop for your legacy, even Office 2003 databases in 2007. So you've got to make sure that if you're developing in it, you keep around an Office 2003 installation to develop on. Well, that's, that's <laughs> but they pain. brought it back in 2010. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to 2010 because <laughs> hopefully... Well, they'll have brought back all of the things which I'm annoyed they've taken out of in 2007. Well, in terms of the Mac version, when 2008 came out, Microsoft were kind enough to give me a free complimentary copy of that. So I'm hoping they'll do the same for 2011 because I really want to get my hands on that and uh, and give it a go. So mm. uh, if the if developers, developers, developers is listening, what, what's the guy's <laughs> name? Developers, developers, developers. Uh, Steve. Steve Barmer. Steve Barmer. That's, that's it. right. Now, yeah. Steve's everywhere. If we want to be big. In um, you know, software engineering and computer companies, we need to change our names to Steve. It seems to be, yeah. Alrighty, so you know what? Those are the only two international stories I had on the list to talk about because there wasn't really a lot that happened this week, other than a whole bunch of boring stuff, which we don't do boring here. But I tell you what, because we try not to, we we try not to, but because that was such a short session, I thought I might submit a story of my own. Can I do that? Well, it depends. Is it technology related? It is technology related, and it's a world first. Oh, so here we go. Tell me what you think. Mix FM. Right here in Wellington, New Zealand, is the first broadcast radio station in the world to implement automated live song requests via Twitter. How's that? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, if you want to know how it works, all you need to do is send a tweet uh, prefixed with at mixfm underscore request, followed by the name of the song and the artist, and uh, it'll automatically tweet you back telling you in how many minutes it's going to play your request. <laughs> That's really neat. As long as they can find your song, of course. Oh, of course. So, uh, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, it's just for a bit of fun. little weekend project for me, you see. Uh, well, that's extended our, our session by a whole 30 seconds. But I'll tell you what, let's wrap up the international, <laughs> the international segment and we'll cover the New Zealand story after the break. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay, don't go away. Welcome back. Now, there's an interesting story on the wires uh, here in New Zealand about some people on Facebook that are criticising a new principal at Burnside High School. And mm. the, the whole, it's basically a hate group. Yep. And this has escalated now. The police are investigating and they have stated that they are going to be laying charges. Yes, it's another example of people taking things to the extreme and not realising that they can get their butts kicked for it. Some people seem to think that on the internet you can say anything you like and do anything you like, but there are laws that still apply in the internet space. Precisely. The only time you can attempt to do any of that sort of stuff is if you are, you know, pretty damn sure that you're quite anonymous. But anything on Facebook, you're not anonymous. No. Every post you make, every join of a group you create, you are attached to it. They can find out who you are. Really simply, Facebook will tell the law enforcement agencies who you are. You know, I don't use Facebook, uh, and but you do. Have you had a look at? Have you gone to have a look at these, this group, and what the comments are about? Uh, no, no, I have not, because they've removed them. Oh, did they? Yeah, Facebook yeah. took them down as soon as it was. Facebook does not support in its terms of service. It says that it does not support hate groups. It will remove them. 
And so as soon as they are pointed out, it will remove them. And unfortunately for the people who are posting on this, it has been brought to police the police attention because they took things that step too far. It was not just saying, you know, slagging off somebody. There were actual threats made against the person in question. Yeah, I heard there were some threats made, and I think that's kind of what makes the difference as to why the police would investigate as opposed to someone saying, oh, so-and-so is such a lame principal, I don't like him. You know, it's a, it's a whole new level if you start making threats and slanderous comments. Yeah, one's personal opinion, and once you take it that step further to slander or to actually making threats, then yeah. You've taken it outside of the realm of free speech and into the realm of the law enforcement. <laughs> well, I actually have this horrible feeling that the, the free speech proponents, which, you know, I, I think free speech is a good thing. I think it's a brilliant thing. But there is a limit to what free speech is about. Yeah. Before it's, you know, something else. And unfortunately, I have this feeling that there are going to be people saying, oh, this is an attack on free speech and so on. But it's not. No, it's not. There have been laws around to protect free speech for a long time, but there have also been laws around to protect the good reputation of people. You can't make defamatory uh, statements and allegations against someone, slanderous allegations, without there being truth behind it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I looked into what the defences were at one point because... uh Remember a long, long time ago when I was a student, a naughty student, I, I defaced a few logos... Do you remember mm. that? Post that, post oh, that I on, do indeed on remember. And I, yeah, I had some legal threats about taking me to court over slander and defamation. And so mm-hmm. I, I remember looking up the, the, the law and when it comes to defamation, the there is a defense and that's truth, but you have to prove the truth. Yeah. Well, Brett, look, I, look, I think this is our show. I, you know, there's, what else are we going to talk about? I don't know. How's the weather been? <laughs> How's that local sports team? Brett, I think this is our show. This is it. Finished. Done. Indeed. Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting the short, sharp and sweet show with me. Not a problem, Ed. And we'll see you again and everyone else listening to us out there on the internet back next week for episode 54. Until then, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. 